A reading from the book of Matthew. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to welcome you this morning again. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, we are going through the Beatitudes and we're looking into God's Word as we began the summer because when Jesus says, take my yoke, uh, that's his teaching uh, upon you. Take my yoke and walk with me and I'll show you how to live a real life, a great life. I'll teach you how to live the way God made you to live, has redeemed you to live. And so as we go into the Beatitudes, we're really practically saying, okay, I've taken his yoke, what does it mean? And what you see through this study, what Jesus taught a lot, are in the Sermon on the Mount, these principles and ideas that he wants to weave into our life, these threads, if you will, that become a tapestry of what does it mean to be poor in spirit, what does it mean to mourn, and what does it mean to be meek? So... That's where we are today, and let's uh, pray for each other as we begin. So let's just quiet our hearts here for a moment and be still and know that our God is here. And take a moment and pray for someone near you to hear the good news of the shepherd's voice for them. And pray for me as I uh, bring the passage to you that I can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Jesus, we're so grateful today that you've come to help us and feed us and thrill us again with the truth that you are the way and the truth and the life. And we can come boldly uh, to the Father today through you. And so we come with real boldness, uh, Jesus, to hear you encourage us with this invitation to be meek as you are meek. And we pray this in your name. Amen. There's a movie, if you haven't uh, seen it, called The Express. Uh, it's a football movie, so sisters, hang on for some of you who don't like sports. I think you'll really like the movie because it's the story of Ernie Davis. He was the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy 
He played for Syracuse. And the movie tells the story of him growing up with a single mom, uh, his grandfather basically raising him, and all the adversity they had to go through. But even when he went to Syracuse, uh, which you would think, because it's in the north and where it is, he would not face a lot of racism, but he, f he found it at Syracuse. And then when he would travel on the road with his team to play other places, he would be yelled at, cursed. It was awful. But what you see being built into him is this resilience, this courage uh, to live a life that reflects this character quality of meekness. So where did it come from, Ernie? Where can it be for us? So when he was a little boy, his grandfather was teaching him how to read and, and use the Bible to teach him how to read. Now when you watch the movie, Ernie is reading from 1 Corinthians 15, and he gets to verse 10, and he kind of leans down, and this becomes the defining truth for Ernie Davis, who would accomplish great things in winning the Heisman and other things in playing pro football. But it's from 1 Corinthians 15:10 because I want to help you today as I help myself understand this is what meekness looks like. Uh, where Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. A good definition for meekness is a disciplined strength. It is a disciplined strength. It is a determined, determined strength. It's a devotion that reflects self-control. In the Greek world at that time, the word meek was a high character quality of anyone who was living a meaningful life. To use the word meek about yourself was not a sign, as Catherine said, of being weak and just, you know, kind of not able to hold your own. It was to be somebody who had a disciplined strength to live for the things that really matter rather than giving in to your sinful desires or getting caught up in things that really didn't matter. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but it was this idea of having a disciplined strength. So I've been studying this week, preparing this week, uh, and so I got a chance to have a experience of being meek, which some of you who know me will appreciate this in just a moment. So I went to get my flu shot in Somerville on, uh, at the Walgreens. And I went there, and it wasn't a line, so I signed in, got ready to get my shot. And I noticed the woman who was going to give me the shot was a young woman who worked in the pharmacy there. And she's decorated with Halloween stuff. She's got Halloween pins on. And because I have two daughters, you know, I learned to notice and pay attention to what my daughters had on and the way they dressed. But her fingernails were all painted orange. But in each one of her fingernails, so there were little bats, you know, as a stencil, however they put them on there, but they really looked good. So being the observant person that I am, I said, uh, I, I think you must like Halloween. Um, and she goes, oh, I love Halloween. It might, be, it might be my favorite holiday. Now, she doesn't know that I'm a secret agent for Santa. She doesn't know that how much I love Christmas. And so I'm thinking, game on, you know. <laughs> We're going to, I'm going to just, you know, whatever. So, but again, because I've been looking at this passage, it just 
don't go there, <laughs> you know. Don't go, <coughs> don't go ho, ho, ho on her. Uh, just wait a minute, you know. And so I, I, I start asking, well, tell me more about why you love Halloween. It turns out she has an identical twin. And they dress up in costumes. So then I said, well, tell me what you've been the last few years. And she just regaled me with these stories about costumes and Halloween and how much fun it is. And I said, you know, I, I, know, I sort of enjoy Halloween, Halloween, but I love Christmas. And she looked at me and she goes, my dad loves Christmas. And then she started telling me about her dad. And then we started talking. And then when she was finished, she kind of said, and you know what? I think I like Christmas more than I do Halloween. So again, I, my, my case was one, I, you know, I saw God prevail. Now that's a silly story, but let me tell you a more serious story. Um, uh, when Valerie and I started our first church, uh, we had a chance to buy a school building uh, for Redeemer Church, which is owned today on Miller Street in Winston-Salem. But we came in as the low bidder for uh, the building. There were a couple of developers. One wanted to just take the whole school down, this beautiful old brick school building, take it down and build something else. Another builder wanted to gut it and turn it into condominiums. Uh, and uh, I went to a lot of meetings with school board members and lobbied for the fact that they should sell it to us even though our bid was way under what was being offered. So you just think of pure economics. Actually, one of the school... Uh, uh, board members asked me in a committee meeting, why should we sell it to you? Because you got the lowest bid. And I said, because you're nice. <laughs> um, and so anyway, we speed up. We go to the school board meeting. We've been praying. I remember I was walking down the stairs to go out to the meeting. And I'd gotten word that the school board had secretly decided to sell it to the, the, most, the best bidder. Uh, the developer was going to tear it down. And I was just, I was upset. I was irritated. I was embarrassed because I had told all these people that God's going to give us this building. I believe it. I'm, and, and now I was going to go through the humiliation of going to this meeting and, ha and watching the school board vote to sell the building to the developer. Uh, and I remember walking down the stairs and our son Luke, who was young at the time, came down and said, Dad, I can't wait to see... Uh, you know, how God's going to answer our prayers. He said something like that, and I kind of growled at him. I was not a friendly bear. You know, I was not kind to our son because uh, I was not happy the, about what's going. So I go to the meeting. I'm getting more agitated, irritated. I'm sitting in the meeting, and I'm watching the discussion go on at the school board, and uh, uh, one of the elders in the church was sitting right next to me, and he was making notes on a legal pad about what was being said. And he knew me well enough to know that I was getting ready to go to the mic and say, you people need to sell this gold to you. you know, so, and I, he could just tell I was getting ready to go to a place I shouldn't go. And, uh, and so I'm just getting ready to go to the mic. And he flips over his legal pad and writes some big words, let God work. Now right at that moment, Jesus met me. And I experienced meekness because I went from being really mad and agitated and irritated to being quieted and trusting that God was going to work. So if you're meek, it means you know that God is working. You know that God will work and you can let him do his work in a way that you honor him 
And you don't mess it up by your own personality and your spirit jumping in there and trying to make things happen. Well, as I quieted down and I sat there, I watched probably one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen because humanly speaking, there is no reason why there is no reason why the school board should have sold to Redeemer Church that building for $350,000. Now, this is 1988. Uh, you know, I forgot how big the building is, but 27 classrooms, uh, a meeting hall that would seat 400. I mean, today it's just unbelievable. But anyway, I watched what happened was somebody who was in the Neighborhood Association spoke on our behalf and within minutes, what was the sure thing? I mean, the developers are on the front of the road. They got their suits on. They got their pins. They're ready to sign the contracts. And the school board reversed itself and sold the building to us. Now, right at that moment, you talk about a roar. <laughs> All the people from Redeemer Church who were standing in the back of the meeting just burst out to applause. And the school board chairman who wanted to celebrate started beating them. You know, she was hammering it, saying, please be quiet, please be quiet. But we all went outside and celebrated. It was one of the greatest moments in my journey with Jesus. And I could have messed it up. I could have really messed it up. Um, you know, one of the fun things about living in Rick Down and T Down's uh, apartment on Pemberton is if you come to our place in the backyard on the ground is the first sign that we had for Redeemer Presbyterian Church. So when they replaced the signs, uh, Noah drove the sign from Winston-Salem up here and it sits in the backyard of the Downs home. So every time I walk out there to drink a cup of coffee and be with our dog, and just sit out there and enjoy the beauty of Cambridge, there's that sign reminding me, let God work. Let God work. So how do you get that kind of confidence? Well, as we've been studying in the Beatitudes, it's the proclamation, you're blessed, this invitation to joy. It's the path in this context in verse 5. It's becoming meek as Jesus is meek, so that you will inherit the land. Now, this seems so upside down, and it's hard for us to understand, but most of you have experienced it or seen it, or you know stories about this. Because notice what God says. People who are meek inherit the land. Now, it looks forward to that future of the new heaven and new earth, but in the here and now, it means you get to get what is mine in this earth now. We inherited an unbelievable school building because we had been praying and because this chief of sinners became meek, God gave us this unbelievable building. Now again, that seems so counter to what we want to believe. We believe we got to get amped up, agitated, irritated. We got to make our case. We got to get in. We got to argue like crazy. But God says this in Psalm 37. So Jesus is quoting the scripture as he does very often. Here's verse 11 in Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So meek people inherit what God is doing in the world right now in a way that it's kind of like you are given stewardship, ownership of what he's doing in this particular locale or in an area where you are working. But how do you get there? Well, again, we want to remind ourselves that it's this invitation 
to joy. Jesus says, in each one of these, you are so intensely delighted in that I want you to see how you can understand that and experience for yourself. Jesus is inviting us to his joy, the Father's joy, the Holy Spirit's joy, the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, which he wants to write us, make more real to us, because he really loves us and he wants us to experience his life. He wants us to see what does it look like to enter into his story and live his story and become more like him. Uh, the famous book, In His Steps, uh, was the basis for the 19th century, uh, the WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? But as one of my friends who's the RUF staff person, uh, Kevin Twitt, likes to say, it's really what is Jesus doing? So when you're meek, what is Jesus doing right now? What is he doing in my life? In my friends' lives, my coworkers' lives, in my professors, what is he doing? Part of my story is that this great uh, community in Switzerland called Labrie transformed the guy who led me to Christ. And years later, I went and spent a few weeks in Switzerland near Lausanne, a little village community called Chezier, about 10,000 feet up in the Alps. This beautiful um, uh, just situation. And um, one of the man who and his wife were running this particular chalet that I was living in, and he was on sabbatical. He was a professor of philosophy at a university in Michigan. And so I got to know him, and I was really fascinated with him and his wife and their story. And I said, how, tell me, how did you come to know Jesus? And this brilliant man, intellect, the whole nine yards, uh, he and I started talking, and he said it was because a freshman student, uh, a young woman, came uh, to him in office hours and started asking him, who do you think Jesus is? <laughs> and she just started asking him questions about Jesus. And he said, Clyde, it was like scratching on a dirty pane of glass. And every time she'd ask the question, I was very irritated. Like, what does Jesus have to do with anything about me and my story? But she kept asking the question. And as she was scratching the dirt in his heart on the pane of glass, he said, these lights started breaking through, started breaking through, started breaking through. This young woman who should have been intimidated and afraid and like who would want to take on somebody like him with all his intellectual moxie, why would she want to do that? Because she was meek and she could see he needed a relationship with Jesus. So I want to encourage all of us who have neighbors and friends uh, to look for opportunities that God might prepare you for where you could ask the question, who is Jesus? What do you think Jesus was doing when he was here on the earth? Well, somebody who is meek, who has experienced his joy, and we talked about this in the prayer meetings this week, um, is that uh, somebody who is meek has a deep sense of contentment. In J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, he says there are four things that characterize people who know their God. First thing is they have great energy for God. Remember, Paul says, I am who I am by the grace of God, but I worked harder than all of them. 
So if you're meek, it's not like you're passive, indifferent, lazy, I can't get a bit. It's like, man, I'm lit up. I'm ready to go. I've got energy. I can't wait. I can't wait to study. I can't wait to go to work. I can't wait to walk by neighborhood. I can't wait. You have this energy to live for God that you would never find in and of yourself. So a meek person has energy. A meek person thinks great thoughts about God. A meek person has great boldness for God, like this young freshman girl who led this professor that I met many years ago in Switzerland to Christ because she had boldness. A meek person is bold. Uh, just the way they are confident that God is working and what he can do. And then the last thing is that somebody who uh, knows their God has great contentment in God. So has anyone taught you the secret of contentment? Some of you know exactly where this comes from, but Philippians 4.13, Paul says, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned the secret of contentment. And everything that comes at us in the media and everything is, you shouldn't be happy with yourself. You shouldn't be happy with your situation. You shouldn't be happy with the way you look. Everything says, you need to consume this or that or have this or do that so that, you know, you can find real life. And what Jesus says is, come to me, come to me, and I'm going to show you who you really are and how we see you and how much we love you and how much we have prepared a life for you to live that you would never find in and of yourself. And that comes out of a deep sense of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A person who is meek has this sense of being a powerhouse for God, a power center uh, for God because of Christ in them. One of my friends who was in his residency when we were starting Redeemer back in the day, and we've been friends now for 40 years, he had become a believer uh, at, in medical school, and he started att attending Redeemer Church, and he was growing like a weed. I mean, he was just growing, he was excited, everything was great. But a lot of times in his residency, he wouldn't be able to be in church on Sunday, and it was very sad for him that he couldn't be here on Sunday mornings because he was in the hospital. And he was taking care of this old African-American gentleman, and, uh, and, he was, and, and the man could sense that Perry was just not happy. He said, Perry, what's bothering you? He says, oh, I wish I could be in church this Sunday. And he said, Perry, remember, Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Perry just felt like he started having church right there in the hospital room with this African-American man. Because as Rick likes to tell this story, he was with his uh, roommate in seminary before he got married to T. They're getting ready to go to church and uh, the guy that was gonna go with Rick, Rick says, come on, we gotta go, we're going to church. And this guy was taking his time, and Rick says, come on, I, I need to be in church. And finally, his friend Mike said to him, Rick, we are the church. <laughs> and he go, oh yeah, that's right. The church is not a building, it's us, it's people. Whenever we gather together, this is church. This is finding out what Jesus wants to do for us. Let me give you two examples uh, from the scriptures where you see Paul use the word meek. So here we go. 
Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and that was a tough church. If you know the letters to Corinth, they had a boatload of problems. I mean, you, you just, oh my goodness. But Corinth was this big artistic center, kind of like Los Angeles or parts of New York City. Artists, gifted people, creative people, all this going on. And Paul's trying to help them come to grips with how God wants to walk them through what they're going through. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you by the meekness of Christ. He appeals to them through the gentleness and meekness of Christ. Because when Jesus says, come and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, it's that word meek. Now, something that's worth thinking about, talking about, and having a conversation about is what Peter, who's writing to the churches in the time of great persecution, he talks to the wives and listen to what he says. He's saying, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, a meek, and quiet spirit, which is, is in God's sight, is very precious. For this is how the holy women, holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. What, I mean, what's going on here when Peter is talking to the wives uh, and saying, I want to encourage you to adorn yourself in meekness. Now, some of you are going, what? <laughs> the gag, you know, really? But I want you not to miss this. If you're married, sisters, um, and, or if you hope to be married, God says it is precious in his sight for a woman to have this sense of being resting and trusting in her heavenly Father through Jesus and her heart is quiet, and she's gentle, versus being irritated and angry and demanding, or however you want to describe it. Um, it's, it's a beautiful invitation. Well, how do you get there? How does a woman even take this on and go, oh my gosh, this, how do I live this? How do I experience this? Well, again, it's this invitation, as all the Beatitudes are, to become like Jesus, to look more like Jesus. God's vision for us, every one of us, is to be conformed into the image of Jesus so that when people are around us, they see meekness. That we're not going off, we're not angry people, we're not insurrectionists, we're resurrectionists. We're all about trusting in what God can do in the lives of people but loving people who are in opposition to us in a way that they see Christ in us. Um, a good friend of mine uh, years ago was in a church where he and uh, his partner in the business that they were in had a major falling out. Actually, this partner almost took the company to bankruptcy, betrayed my friend, and there were times where he and I had just conversations. He couldn't understand how this man who was a believer would betray him, betray their company, and it was bad. And they went to the same church. So you can imagine showing up to church going, oh yeah, there's, there's Bill and there's his partner. I wonder how they're feeling this morning, knowing it was bad. It was really, really bad. 
So finally, Bill realized, I can't, I can't live this way. I've got to meet with my friend. I've got to make peace with him. We need to reconcile over what happened. And so he, uh, he, called, he asked the elders to help him. They sat down and had a meeting. But my friend knew this other guy well enough to know that the guy would be terrified of Bill just going off on him and just letting him have it for all the things. And he had a lot of shame over what he had done. And he was afraid of my friend. So they go into the meeting and the guy comes and sits down, Bill sits down, and uh, the elders are sitting there with them. And Bill goes back, pulls back a curtain, pulls out a bucket. It's got some paper towels, got some soap. He asks his friend to take his shoes off and he washes his feet. That's meekness. How do you treat the enemies in your life? Do you want to bully back those who are bullying you? A lot of times that means you're not being mean to them. You're just shutting them out. You're cutting them off. So I want to give you a picture right here of what meekness looks like, discipline, strength. Is what would it be like for you to wash the feet of the enemies in your story, the bullies in your story, as a way of showing them what Christ looks like. But when we were enemies, his enemies, Christ died for us. He died for us. When we were helpless, he died for us. He did more than wash our feet. He came to wash our hearts, our stories, with the greatness and the goodness of the love that God has for us. Becoming like Jesus is uh, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, O Lord of my life, be my vision, O ruler of all. You see, as we come to the table now, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to experience again that we are people who are washed by the love of a Savior who became meek, weak, to the place of death on a cross, that when we were his enemies, he sought us out. Let us pray. Father, we pray now for just the opportunity to come to the Word and, I mean, come to the table and experience what you have for us here. So Jesus, help us all to have a vision of giving to you what is precious in your sight, a gentle and humble heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you put your heart in our hearts so that we have good hearts this morning to trust what you've done for us. For we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.